And we thank you, O sweet, sweet Lord of hosts. to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. In this episode, we are going to finish up our discussion on free will. You'll notice at the beginning of the uh, conversation, the Minnesota misanthrope and I, um, he sort of concedes the floor to me, and I finish out what I was trying to say. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit humorous because after I get done with what I say at the very beginning of the podcast, he goes, yeah, I don't see how anybody could argue with that. And then he gets into the business of arguing with it, which is, is rather comical upon re-listening to it. Uh, but one thing that he brings up that I really want to address here specifically is he requests the research that I refer to in this podcast of how we know that we don't have free will, at least in any traditional sense. So, for instance, uh, one of the things that people often do when you say, well, how do you know that we have free will? Can we demonstrate that we have free will? They'll, they'll do something like raise their left hand and they'll say, see, I have free will. Well, if this is the most, uh, you know, common and obvious, quote unquote, demonstration of free will, well, that exact motion or that exact activity, your brain talking to your hand to raise it up, was studied by uh, somebody named named uh, Benjamin LeBay, L-I-B-E-T. This study was conducted in the 1980s and has since been uh, reaffirmed by multiple other scientists. So it has uh, survived the peer review process. I mean, I encourage you to go look up the experiments. I'm not going to explain them here now, but I encourage you to, um, to look them up and see exactly how they were conducted and what the possible conclusions are. But the gist of it is that we, our subconscious mind, our uh, makes decisions for us before we become consciously aware of them. And so, if asked to, uh, you know, raise either the, your right hand or your left hand, um, if you're hooked up to fMRI scanners, and if you're in Lubay's test, um, the person conducting the test would be able to tell which hand you're going to raise before you become consciously aware up to a certain percentage, right? With a certain, I should say, with a certain percentage of accuracy. So, what we know for a fact, based Based on that test is that your subconscious mind is making up that decision for you before you become consciously aware of it. Now, as far as I'm willing to go with the conclusion of this test, I would just say then that we don't know for sure that we have free will. The raising of your left hand, for instance, is no longer a demonstration of free will. That's as far as I'm willing to go with this test. You know, other than just demonstrating that you have free will by raising your hand, which LeBay's uh, research disproves as free will, um, people, instead of demonstrating it, then try to uh, define it into existence. And you'll hear the Minnesota misanthrope doing this multiple times um, after I get through my initial push, my initial conclusion, right? Um, he 
he does a good job of sort of demonstrating the problem that we see with free will. Now, there's there's a whole series in uh, on free will that I'm going to do in my in my series called Nuanced, and that's going to happen in season three of Ear Seduction. But very very briefly, um, because we can't be accountable, we're not held accountable for building our brain, and our brain is the thing that functions in such a way that either that that determines whether we're a psychopath or a regular person, right? Or helps us to choose between different courses of action, right? Our, all of that choosing, all of that functionality is in the brain. And since we can't take credit for the building of our brain, we, we don't have any way of saying, well, I could have done differently. In the past, I could have done something, you know, I, I chose to do this, but I, I could have chosen to do that. And the fact of the matter is, is no, you could not have chosen to do something else. And people that believe in free will often say, oh, well, that person could have chosen to do something differently. They could have, the murderer could have decided not to murder and so on. But in actual reality, no, there is no turning back the clock. And the murderer is the kind of person that when put in that exact situation would murder. And so that's the type of person we're dealing with. There is no choosing to not be who you are. So with that in light, what do we do then? Well, we don't lose all culpability. We don't lose our ability to say that, oh, well, this person's a murderer and we need to do something about that. We need to resolve this. We can't let them go and murder again. Or maybe they're never going to murder again. They were just going to murder that one time. But we don't know that now that they've identified that they're the type of person that when put in a certain situation will murder, (laughs) right? Or when they find themselves in a certain situation will murder. So we have to do something about that. Okay, I'm not going to get into it in full detail. Let's go to the clip and hear what I had to say with the Minnesota Misanthrope. Thank you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome my co-host, Mr. Monocane himself, Minnesota's own, the Midwest Misanthrope. So, uh, we were going to wrap up Free Will, and I got I finished listening to the other podcast, um, <clears throat> and I think we sort of left off on this idea that a lot of people have that if we don't have free will, then morality doesn't exist. All right. And I think that this is there's two there's two things that pop into my mind right away. The first is if you're saying that morality has a precondition of free will, then you have to demonstrate that free will exists for that to be valid and sound. Well, maybe not sound, but valid. There can be no demonstration for free will, so we've got no way to validate that statement. We can't show that free will actually exists. The second is that it doesn't make sense to hinge the two together because morality is based on outcome. So whether or not the person tried to have a positive outcome ends up being irrelevant. And whatever happened... Whatever the outcome was is deemed moral or immoral based on whether it caused unnecessary pain and suffering. So like, for instance, you could argue that a bear, when it attacks a person, acts in an immoral way. It may sound ludicrous to pin morality onto a bear in some sense, but the outcome is the same. A person dies, there's needless pain and suffering. It's not like you don't just, it's not like you just let the bear roam free. You either put it in a zoo or you relocate it or you shoot it. So there still has to be an action taken to resolve that issue. And the same would be with a person. You either 
put them in jail or they die in the act of killing somebody else because of self-defense. And that's just kind of the quick and, quick and easy. This notion that we have to have free will in order to be moral people is, I think, a mistake. And I think it's a sign of confusion. And as we were saying before, you're either the type of person that commits immoral acts due to no fault of your own, or you're the kind of person that behaves morally and ethically, and that's really due to no fault of your own also. Word. So that was it. That just wraps it up. That ties it up nicely in a cute bow, and we get to send it away. Nice, man. I see it. Yeah. Tough, uh, tough to argue yet. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure why somebody would want to. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm not quite sure with what you just said why uh, why a person would advocate for free will. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the two main reasons why I feel like people do advocate for it is, one, they want palpability. They want to be able to blame people for the things that they do. They don't believe that we would have any kind of justification for locking them up, which I think is false for the reasons that we talked about in the last podcast. And then the other is they don't think that morality exists without free will, and that's false for the reasons I just described. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, man. And I also think that there's another problem with this idea of free will that it was it's grounded. It, it, its fundamentals all sprung out from religious context. So this all idea that we we have to have free will because God gave it to us, <laughs> which is sort of bizarre just the way you just thinking about it like that. But um, it, it was a way to describe how people could do bad things. It was it was basically a solution to the problem of evil. If God's good, why is there evil in the world? And then they, they always say, well, it's because man has free will and man is corrupted and sinful. But this this was like a, this was a, a pretty big stretch, obviously, because it doesn't make any sense that if God's good, that God keeps allowing bad things to happen all the time. I don't know. Uh, I can only speak myself. I do feel that sometimes people have free will to be something that, you know, may be disruptive. Uh, it's just out of curiosity. Uh, I myself have partaken in such acts where I can look and go, that was the wrong thing to do. I was sure. just on the mind and I did it. So I think that's kind of like the concept where, as a whole, we kind of recognize that that is something that can also occur and that's something that relates to the idea of will. I think I've been wrong before, but I think that's where that whole concept of free will kind of comes out, you know. Yeah, I mean, I understand the concept because it does appear that we make these choices and it does seem like we have the ability to go back and make a different choice. But when we when we look in into the mind and, and you know, do fMRI and imaging of the mind when people are making choices, we're not able to actually find that point where they where they consciously make this choice. Some, in some acts, yeah. Um, no, in, in all acts, they don't have a. They haven't been able to connect the, those two. That's why it. That's why it disappears. That's why the foundation or the the floor falls out. Based on what article? Just based on neuroscientific research that's you know currently like the current the current neuroscience research. They're they're looking at, at you know how people make decisions and they're able to determine what decision they're going to make before the people become aware of of making that decision. So. Before the decision appears in their conscious mind, it is in their subconscious somewhere in their brain, and that decision has already been made before they become aware of it. So it, it and and there, there's another way to think about this that is pretty. I think I think says it pretty well. In order for you to have free will, you would have had to have decided to do something before you decided to do it, right? Like you, in order in order for you to be the author of your conscious decisions, that means you would have had to 
decide them before you decided them. Thoughts just, just arise in consciousness and you are either compelled to do them or not. And the fact that, that you're, that these thoughts are arising in consciousness, you don't have any control over what thought is going to come into your mind next. Don't you, don't you have the opportunity though to control your impulse and Well, I, I mean, I, I think you can learn to control impulse. That's with free will. Sorry? It's not so, the thought I think is uncontrollable, but the reacting to that impulse, uh, choosing whether or not to do it, I think is the matter of free will. And for those who have the ability to control that, that's where the idea comes from. But for those who don't, that's a different category. Is that possible? Uh, I mean, I think, I think there's an, there are people that make that argument, but I don't understand how, so people that can control their impulses are the people that have free will and the people that can't can don't have free will is that the that's yeah. that yeah, like, like two separate, yeah, that's yeah. So I just don't understand how we're denying free will to a certain section of the people, but other people somehow have it. They're not able to control the impulse. Okay, but they can't account for why they can control that impulse. That's the point, yeah. right? Like, they don't have the, the people that can control the in, impulse can't take credit for that. They just have the kind of brain that controls the impulse. And the people that cannot control the impulse can't take credit for it either because they have the kind of brain that cannot control the impulse. But if they choose choose to ignore the fact that what they're what they're about to do like, could either be a good thing or a bad thing and they choose to ignore the good thing because they act on the bad thing out of curiosity that's not I don't think that's the same dynamic as somebody who is unable to even acknowledge choices well th- that still that still falls under that same umbrella of they have the kind of brain where they can that the good deed or the bad deed occurs to them so you can't choose from which you that didn't occur to you right like if you have a bunch of options and all of them are, let's say, evil, right? We would deem them as inappropriate or immoral. And it doesn't even occur to you to do the right thing. Then it, it wasn't in your control. Yeah, that's option. That's like option A, yeah. So I'm just saying it, it, all these examples still fall under this, I fall under this umbrella of you either have the kind of brain that can perform these tasks or you don't. And you don't have, you didn't make your brain. So you didn't will this into existence. So there was a section of the audio that I had to delete because it was such poor sound quality that it was unusable. But essentially, what was deleted between what you just heard and what I'm about to play next is uh, the Minnesota misanthrope bringing up something that happened when he was like 16. And uh, we were all hanging out. Uh, it was a big group of people. And he got into one of our friend's cars, started it up, and started driving around in it. And he's uh, visually impaired and it was a lot of fun. So he was having a lot of fun. Um, and then he hit a friend of ours. And the guy like flew up on the hood or whatever. He, he more jumped up on the hood than flew up. He saw him coming, and, and so he just, just jumped up on the hood to get out of the way. He wasn't harmed in any way, and it actually ended up being quite funny uh, in the moment. But the Minnesota misanthrope recalls this and then says the following. I like the idea that I was completely a victim of circumstance in regards to my brain. Well, in a sense, you were. Your your brain didn't, your brain, you didn't, you didn't make your brain the way it is, and you really didn't make that decision decision in, in, a, in, in a certain sense. You, didn't, you certainly didn't have the free will to go and undo it. Like, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't have done anything else. I could have not hit it. No. My, if, if you were to play back the tape and, you know, Adam for Adam, everything was exactly the same, you would hit him every time. Something would have had to change in, in, the, uh, in the makeup of that scenario. Either uh, another random thought into your head that you couldn't control. Mm-hmm. 
um, would have inspired you to not hit him. Or maybe, you know, whoever was sitting next to you might have said something or done something that, that they didn't do the first time that would have persuaded you not to do it. But all of that is deterministic. None of that has, there's no free will there. Right. It was fault for leaving the keys in the car. And it was fault for standing in front of the car, which I was driving. Well, no, this doesn't, this doesn't take, this doesn't take the fault off of you. That's a mis, that's a misconception. That's, that's the misconception that a lot of people have. So, for whatever reason. Just talking about like the, the way the brain works is what you're talking about and how it comes down to, uh, freedom of choice, free will. And how that doesn't, that doesn't transition into how the brain works. That's safe to say? I don't understand the distinction you're making. Your, the idea of free will doesn't create biological of how the brain Yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't find free will anywhere in the brain. Yep. You you just have you just have the kind of it doesn't mean that you're not responsible in the sense that we shouldn't punish you, let's say, for having done that. Yeah. It's just it's by, and it by, doesn't you wouldn't you wouldn't be like if you had gone to court for that, there would have been no argument like, oh, it was actually fault because he left the keys in the car. You would have still deserved some kind of punishment for that. But you you did not you did not make your brain the way your brain is. And your brain is the kind of brain that if you think it's funny, you might run somebody over with a car. <laughs> and you can't take response. You can't take ownership of that. It's not your fault. That's the way that your brain works. Right, right. That's what it's saying. That cool. doesn't still mean that we don't have to, you know, have a, cer a stern sit down with people that want to run people over with cars and try to convince them not to. Or yeah. implement some kind of punishment for people that do that. Right, right. Now, the other thing to take into account is I think you... I think you perceived your your situation as being in a in a consequence free environment. No, it just wasn't clear that we were just. I I was having trouble connecting how the idea the discussion to me seems to be more clear now. Where it's the idea of free will. How does that exist biologically? And it just it doesn't because right. it works in this way. So that's kind of like a really compressed, simplified version of it. So when right. you talk about you can't bring it biology, you got to keep it separate. And then well, we, there's no there's no talking about free will. That's the point. No. There's no real substance to the free will argument. Exactly. Like, talking... I think I think free will is more of a philosophical. Biologically, it's the way the brain ticks. Here again, they're, they're, they're separate categories. So it, it, unless they're separated, it doesn't. It's a uh, it's a topic that's just going to kind of be up in the not, not really make any sense because they, it's like you're it's like you're implementing the rules of baseball, trying to put that into the rules of football. They're they're two separate things. Now, doesn't mean that uh, the whole a person can talk about free will all they want, but there's not a lot of you know. Once you see the biological aspect of it, you're you're going to default to the, to the whole concept of I don't see the reason to discuss the option of free will because I am looking at this point and this point has data and yours has some type of reference to a book, so they don't they don't connect. Right, and and essentially the the idea of free will is, is void of any meaning. It becomes a word like spirituality. It just there's it's nonsensical. Yeah, I mean it, it might make sense to them, but when they try to implement it into other Ask the anxiety that were in the source and have. Like, you, we can we can talk about you know the muppet, how much we enjoy the muppet, you know. But when we start implementing puppets into you know uh, policy practices, then, then you know it's going to start showing some signs of what the fuck. Right. Why would you blend these two together? So if you want to talk about free will, talk away. But if you're if you're going to talk about free will and implement it within policies and procedures and all and, and legal, uh, you'll have to be able to look at that information and also digest. These words are being used because they were created in a time where, you know, faith was kind of the universal language of how to describe things, at least when it comes to places and 
empowered. It doesn't mean that we're going through this process and, and coming at it from a faith-based perspective. So we're not we're not coming. Does that make sense? So if like it's a uh, if it's you know in in God we trust. You know what I mean? It's like hey, you know it's not. And if somebody says, see, there's the evidence when it comes down to the fact that we're all believers of Christian faith. It's like no, that's just the language that was being used at the time. You know, that's the great creed, but at the same time, I respect that that's where the language was coming from. But you know, in God we trust is something very. There's a huge paradox in that when you're looking at a piece of paper which is used as a currency and, and having those things on it. Right. It's just unnecessary, but it's there. And at, at the same time, it kind of changed where we've been to a lot of people. And some people look at it as this is where we are now. Um, does, that, does that make sense, man? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's a problem we've had for a long time, you know. It, it's difficult to, to pin down because... This this notion has persisted because we thought for so long that we could demonstrate free will just by raising our hand or some other nonsense. And it doesn't, it, it just everywhere we look to connect this decision to our conscious mind, we, we see that it's somewhere, it's happening in our unconscious or subconscious mind. And so we just can't make the connection no matter how hard we try. Right. I think, I think it's like, you know, the idea of free will, where's that, where's that moment that people, I mean, I just think it can be interpreted so many different ways uh, in conversation. So I just think it's fine to just, I don't believe that there's any issues when it comes down to free will and like a practical or not like an easy going conversation about like, yeah, I, I figured I'd use this instead of that, you know, because of these things, and, you know, more of a, more of a casual sense. I just think that there's a, that's where free will is supposed to be talked about and discussed in casual conversation. Uh, I don't think it meant to be a foundation of, like I said, a, a system at play so clearly it's it's not right well, the, the one place where this plays out is in our judicial system. So our, our judicial system is, is based on the idea of free will. And, and. Yeah, I think that, I think that too goes back to the language of how the judicial, where we were at as already when the judicial system was created. Right. So that's a, that's a motherfucker to recreate. Uh, I, I don't know how, where would you even start? Well, I mean, I think it, it, it's, it's a, it's a minor tweak. Instead of trying to, trying to have retribution and trying to, place blame we simply change the language and say you know you know we've identified you as the kind of person that does this and therefore you can't live in our society under these rules but this whole idea that we need to needlessly punish or or get some kind of retribution or revenge or that we hate these people it doesn't really make it, it abolishing free will and just and just accepting that we don't have it just sort of washes that clean. I mean, it, it's asking a lot of somebody who, let's say, just had their wife murdered by somebody else to say that they don't hate this person. I mean, we would recognize that emotion as, you know, that's totally valid. It, it would make sense that they would feel hate. But I, I don't think that our public policy should reflect that. You know, I don't think that our, our prison system should reflect that. I don't think that the way that we legislate should reflect that because there, there really isn't a will in there anywhere to hate. It's not like this person can account for why they did what they did. And and it's funny when you when you watch like interviews of murderer 
murderers and, and rapists and psychopaths and stuff like that, they often say that they don't know why they do what they do. Or they often say that they, they wish they could change or they wish they could stop doing what they're doing. And it, it's, it, it shows an interesting demonstration of that there is, they're, they're not acting under their own free will. They are just, their brain chemistry just is not the way that we, the rest of us, that they don't have the same brain chemistry and, and therefore there, there is every reason to put them in, a, <clears throat> in prison somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I hear you, man. I mean, I don't, uh, I, I, yeah, I just, some people obviously get their, you know, get their rocks off, you know, see people get punished and stuff, and, you know, I guess that says something about their mind. Right. Well, it, in a lot of ways, it, it, I think that this idea of free will puts us, a lot of people, in a position where they're behaving immorally, um, or they're, they're having, they're just not, they don't need to be having these torturous thoughts of hate and, um, vindictive or vindiction, they don't need to have those thoughts. If they could just recognize that we don't have free will, they would feel a lot better. It's causing a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering in the victims, in the people that are victimized by, by you know, other people that would, that don't have good functioning brains. Sure. Yeah, <clears throat> they, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, there's a lot of, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of, you know, extra added things to it to where, it, you know, people aren't, uh, living in a society where they can necessarily practice, you know, peaceful meditation and or, you know, ways of turning their brain around, uh, to think differently about stuff. Um, it's very difficult for some people to do that. So, I mean, I, I think because of that reason, you know, the person is upset because there's a trial that happened and then one of their loved ones were affected in some way and the legal process was able to point it out but at the same time there was some type of loophole so that person that committed the crime actually got off because they had the money to defend themselves and then afterwards as those people are uh, they didn't they didn't from their mind they didn't receive any justice you know I don't I'm not quite sure how you know a mind could basically go on being like well it was something that the person that's now walking amongst us couldn't couldn't you know do anything about you know yeah, I think take uh take Cosby for example. Um I'm not sure how any of those women whose family members and I'll just I'll just you know, I wasn't there but I'm just gonna say uh, I'm just gonna throw it out. My 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 perspective is the guy likes to knock women out dick dick it, okay? Now maybe it wasn't all of the women, but uh he, my opinion, just from what I've read, the guy did some work. Uh <laughs> and uh with that being said, uh if that's the case, if he gets off and is found innocent because he through the trial process and, and the law itself is a, um, you know, under these grounds, we don't have the evidence of, of you know, uh, trial him and find him guilty of rape. I, like, if, if that was my mom, it would be very difficult for me to be able to be like, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't, he, he, he just didn't have the ability, you know, it was out of his control. Um, it would be very tough to find any, you know, way of training the mind in order to not be just like, kill that guy, man. I'm yeah. Like, I want him dead. And, sure. and um, I think that's just going to be, you know, why people default to the idea of, of uh, free will is because of that emotional connection. Uh, so it, it's going to be a tough thing to get rid of. Yeah, and I don't, I don't suggest that we, you know, I, I'm not suggesting that this realization that free will doesn't exist is going to resolve the emotional feedback that people feel towards rapists and murderers. I, I get the, I get the emotional connection. I would feel emotionally very, you know, I, I would want to kill Bill Cosby if he, you know, had raped somebody I know or whatever. I mean, it would be a, 
a palatable emotion to have, and I think everybody can understand that. It's just not, it, it just, first of all, the, we don't, at least we shouldn't, I don't think, legislate to our emotions. I think we should legislate to reality, you know, to, to evidential reality. And I'm not suggesting that this is going to keep people from disliking or wanting to kill, you know, rapists or murderers. I, I don't think that it is going to stop people from thinking that. But as a society, we don't have to loathe these people. We don't have to blame them. And we don't have to inflict unnecessary punishment on them just because we think they're bad. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's freeing ourselves from this free will allows us to see things a little more clearly and that hopefully we can legislate based on those clear thoughts. Right. Nothing to give up. They obviously have it for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's the opportunity and people want to do it. So, uh, yeah. If we let old more didn't exist, the free will yeah, within our legal process. Yeah, I think to, to the extent that we can remove it is would be a good thing. Okay, so we're back. And Minnesota and I had a pretty fun little conversation. Um, you know, I don't know if you can tell or not, but Minnesota kind of wanted to just get this over with, especially at the beginning. <laughs> he he really he really uh, got sick of talking about a lot of these topics, and I didn't. I wanted to further, you know, flush out the the nuance and the details that underpin these ideas in our society. So things like free will and human rights and so on are all very ubiquitously uh, conceived of. But what underpins them? What truth do they contain? Or what evidence? are they built upon? Well, those are the kinds of things that I'm very interested in talking about. And you'll see in the next episode <laughs> a demonstration of how Minnesota is just not one of those people. That's not what he likes to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> when I when I when I've said in earlier episodes that I should probably find somebody else to have these podcasts with, it's not just me that thinks this. It's Minnesota agrees. Um, let's see. Now, one thing to keep in mind when Minnesota uh, says, you know, well, there's no way that anybody could argue against that. And then he gets down to the business of arguing with it. Um, notice that um, his language, he uses a lot of, he uses a lot of uh, words. He says, I feel, or I feel like, or it could, or it could have happened this way, right? So he's using a lot of unsure language, kind of muddy, spooky language, right? That's always an indicator to me that we're on the wrong, we're, we're getting off on, on a tangent of some kind or the wrong foot. Now, he's not the only person that does this, but I'm just using this as a, as a, a way to describe language to you so that when you have conversations with people, you can pick up on this and recognize the uncertainty of the person you're talking to, the uncertainty of their position. Um, so what becomes quite obvious is that Minnesota hasn't really read the current research. He hasn't read LeBay, for instance. Uh, he hasn't read, uh, you know, he hasn't seen the videos that uh, different scientists have put out about the nature of free will or the nature of determinism and how we utilize determinism, how we can demonstrate determinism, for instance. Um, and in the previous podcast, uh, Minnesota even kind of demonstrates that he doesn't really even know what we're saying when we say determinism, or, or at the very least, he doesn't understand how to apply it. But but he's saying that he, he, he shows here that he hasn't really read the information or understands what the concept of free will is that we're discussing. And there's nothing really wrong with that. I'm suspecting that some of my listeners don't understand the concept, and we'll get into that in detail. But in this particular 
particular uh, conversation, it's important to recognize that that's where Minnesota's at. So he claims that free will is a concept. Uh, he says people do disruptive things out of curiosity. That's an interesting perspective, and I found that very uh, my like I had to really think about that. Like, hmm, yeah, that's that's a good point. So people do do disruptive things just out of curiosity. They don't necessarily. That doesn't mean that they're a bad person. They're just curious. Well, what's going to happen, right? Well, this demonstrates the concept of a uh, concept. Excuse me, of free will. This is somebody uh, defining free will into existence and basing it on concepts, not on evidence that we can demonstrate, for instance, that we have free will. Um, so, so free will as a concept is just another way to define to define free will into existence. Is what I'm trying to say. Whenever you bring up free will as a concept, you're just trying to define it into existence. Um, M goes on later then to equate impulse control to free will, further than trying to define it into existence. We go back and forth a little bit after he talks about doing disruptive things out of curiosity, um, right? And I point out, well, you're either the kind of person that does disruptive things out of curiosity or you're not. You recognize that you don't want to do that or you don't recognize that you don't want to do that and you do it and then you recognize later that you did, that you were that you didn't want to do it, <laughs> that you regret it, for instance, or you recognize that you are the kind of person that likes to do that, that you got some sort of benefit from it. Um, and then maybe later you might still regret it because you no longer get benefit from those types of things. So any way you try to slice it, it's always it always boils down to a brain state at that specific time. And at that specific time, you weren't the person you are now. So you're looking back on your life and saying, well, I could have done that differently. Well, that's only in with the benefit of hindsight. That's a hindsight, what I call a hindsight bias. You're claiming that it's possible that you could have done something differently. But if you go back to that time and place and you weighing the pros and cons and making that decision and deciding what to do, there was only one answer to you at that time. There was one only, there was only one answer provided to you. And that's why you did the thing you did. Um, so back to impulse control. So then he tries to equate impulse control to free will. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, uh, him continually trying to uh, define free will into existence by some such way or, you know, now it's impulse control before it was just sort of a vague, uh, sometimes people do disruptive things out of curiosity, but they're not actually disruptive people. Um, he goes on later, but notice what this also indicates to me is that Minnesota Misanthrope already thinks free will exists full stop. So he's not interested in whether or not free will exists. He's already made up his mind that it does. So he's not really open to what the evidence might suggest. Um, this is very common. Uh, this is something I tried to fight against in myself a lot because I want to be open-minded. Um, he brings up further that there is a notion that there are people that can control impulses and people that cannot. And thus, people that control their impulses have free will. And apparently, people that do not control their impulses do not have free will. However, he does not bring up or fails to realize that his, his previous example of doing disruptive things, <laughs> right... Um, i.e. not controlling your impulses should indicate that some people control their impulses some of the time and other people don't control their impulses other times. So if the same person on one day might control their impulse to say smoke a cigarette and the next day fail to control that impulse. So impulse control is not a reliable way to determine if somebody has free will because uh, apparently if you fail to control an impulse then you don't have free will on that day I guess but then later you do because you do control the 
impulse. So again, it just gets too muddy. Trying to define free will into existence runs into all kinds of contradictory problems. Unfortunately, in the conversation, I, I miss my opportunity to point that out. And I go off and say that people just have the kind of brain that they have. Trying to drive home this idea that at any one point in time, once you make the decision, that there was no other way for you to decide. You may have considered the opposite of what you decided to do, but for whatever reason, you chose to do what you chose to do. And whatever calculation that went on in your head or whatever chemical process that went on in your head, there's only one... That's that's the only way it could have gone. That's the only way in it, it in fact, did go. And to say that I could have done something differently in the past is to be completely misunderstanding what it was that was happening in the present at that time. So it's important to notate also for you, the listener, that at minutes uh, 8 and 46 seconds, M makes the most common free will mistake. He holds himself responsible for not choosing <clears throat> to swerve and thus missing our friend. And he brings up this idea that, you know, back in the day, he ran over one of our friends with a car <laughs> as a joke. This demonstrates the biggest problem with free will proponents. So everything we know about science and cause and effect demonstrates to us that if you say something like, I could have done, you know, X differently, that you're incorrect. This is an incorrect statement. In order for M to have made a different choice and not hit our friend with a car, he would have had to be a different person, right? As a matter of fact, there is no going back in time and changing what happened. There is no way to actually demonstrate that you could have done something different. So it's a, not only is it uh, an, an odd claim, um, but you can't demonstrate this claim. Um, just because Minnesota now recognizes how inappropriate it was to run somebody over with a car today on our podcast, that doesn't mean that a 16-year-old Minnesota misanthrope would have made a different choice. That doesn't say anything about who he was back then. That just gives us insight into who he is now. While it is true that in hindsight, a huge variety of options become available to us. So Minnesota says, well, I could have swerved, right? Well, in the moment, that action was not taken. And he decided if, if he did consider not swerving, he decided not to. I know this, when you say it the way I just said it, it sounds kind of odd. It's like, well, duh. Of course, he, he, he did what he did, and there's no changing that. But then why is the defense for free will so often that somebody could have done differently, that they could have chosen something else? Just because, as I said, in hindsight, that we recognize that there are, you know, a multitude of things he could have done, right? There seems to be, one is tempted to say that there's almost infinite variables that could have changed the course of action back then. One of which being Minnesota decided not to hit a friend with a car. But a meteor could have fallen and hit the car and blown it up. And therefore, you know, the the friend would not have been hit. But that didn't happen. And that wasn't even in the cards. It wasn't even possible to happen. You can say in hindsight, well, that could have happened. But in actuality, there was no meteor. There was nothing in orbit that was coming towards the Earth to stop this thing from happening. And in the exact same way that there was no meteor, it was not possible. And that's why it did not happen. It was not possible for Minnesota to make any other decision than the one that he made. Cause and effect. Simple, deterministic. Um, so, M seems to understand uh, at minute 11, but then tries to say it's a philosophical concept. So, now he's changing, he's trying to change the manner in which free will might exist. So, he recognizes that it's not a biological possibility. That every time we go to look for it, that we'd find that it doesn't exist. There's not a space in the brain for it, in other words. Um, but now he wants it to be philosophical, that it's just a concept that we use. Um, well, to speak to this specifically, free will 
cannot be shown to exist biologically. That's true. Philosophically, the idea of it is not really all that helpful, though, either. It's more moral to accept that we don't have it, and we still have to take away certain people's rights based on their actions, than it is to assume we do have it and blame a person for their actions. Blame is not the same thing as holding them to account. Blame implies some sort of human suffering, right? And what do we often hear when a tragedy occurs? People say, why? Why did this have to happen? Now, I'm not trying... I know I just, you know, used my cry voice or whatever. I'm not trying to um, to downplay their pain, but I am trying to highlight the absurdity of the question. Why did this have to happen? It happened because, you know, the victim happened to come across a sadist. That's why this tragedy happened. That's why this thing happened. We don't say, why? Why did this happen when a tornado comes through our neighborhood? Or if we do, then we're really detached from reality, right? Why? Why would this tornado? It's like, what? It's a tornado. Tornadoes happen. And it just happened to happen to you. It's not like you did something. There is no why, in other words. And this is the mistake that I think a lot of people make. We hear this torturous crying about why. Why did this have to happen? And then we we focus that torture and that personal anguish onto the person that committed the crime. So the sadist, right? And we say we hate them and that they could have done differently, but they didn't. So they deserve blame and they deserve punishment, right? And as a a way to console ourselves, we then indulge in the horrible side of our nature, which is to enjoy the pain and suffering of somebody else through punishment. While we would all agree that that person does deserve some amount of punishment, right? Why should we as a people indulge and enjoy their pain and suffering? Aren't we then turning ourselves into sadists unnecessarily? We have, according to the science, proper functioning brains. We wouldn't murder somebody because we're not sadists. But a sadist then now infects us with their sadism and we try to reflect it back onto them and form a punishment as a catharsis. That that doesn't sound healthy to me. That doesn't sound needful. We don't need to think that way. And in the podcast, I say, you know, well, I don't expect people to not hate their murderers or their rapists or whatever. And and I don't. I do expect people to experience hate. But we, we ought not and we should not indulge in sadism just because we hate somebody, just because they've done something wrong or done something to wrong us. This is the true This is the true problem with the concept of free will. The fact of the matter is, is that we can't demonstrate free will to exist. And when we assume it does, it leads us into all of these emotional traps and torture chambers. Why not just recognize a sadist like we would recognize a great white shark? You know, that's the kind of thing that they do. There's no need to hate or despise them. We just put them in a cage and deny them deny them access to our society. Now, I'm going to get into what I think we ought to do with prisoners and how we ought to change their lives for the better. But that's going to be in a series of nuance. So for now, that's all I have to say about free will. That's free will part two, the wrap up, if you if you will. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Ears Seduction. Ear seduction.